Um, we have many, many memories together, and we were discussing just a handful of those in my office beforehand, but uh, not nearly the whole, the whole volume. So uh, it's great to have Mark and Kim back here. And, uh, you know, they are a living example of uh, where our mission offerings go. Uh, they're one of 39 examples of that. We have 39 missionaries that we support in different places in the world, some of whom are here in the States, inner city, and in Indonesia and China and a lot of other places. And uh, it's your giving that puts their boots on the ground and makes all the differences that uh, are happening in that part of the world. So God bless you guys for your generosity on that. Well, um, Jill and I were at the car show up in Downers Grove a week ago Friday night. And we were walking along the streets, street after street, just jammed with old classic cars. And the atmosphere was one of uh, baby boomers and nostalgia. It was just packed with gray-haired baby boomers, okay? Uh, I felt right at home. Uh, we saw a Chevy Nova, a 1973 Chevy Nova. It should be it. There you go. It wasn't that one, but it was like that one. Uh, and it looked really sharp like Chevy Novas did. And it reminded Jill and I of an investment that we almost made back in the early 70s because we almost bought a Chevy Nova. Uh, it was a used Nova, but it was all shined up. Exterior, interior just looked perfect. And I was starting to get that car fever, you know, that fever that kicks in when you're out trying to buy a car. And I was thinking, man, this is the one. Uh, looked under the hood. They even had that all cleaned up and shiny like it was brand new. And uh, then we went back to the trunk and asked to see what was in the trunk. Well, he opened up the trunk, and there were about two or three inches of rusty water just sort of sitting in the trunk of the car. And I asked the salesman, hey, you know, what's, what about the water? And it was sort of an awkward moment there, and he stumbled around a little bit, and he mumbled something, I think it's just condensation. Uh, now, <laughs> I was young then, and I may not have looked too bright to him, but even I knew that that was just not a little overnight condensation or uh, it was more than that. So, but I almost made an investment in something that rust was already starting to eat away. And the thing, and that's the thing about investments in anything in this world, even in the most carefully researched investments, there is always a risk. There is an uncertainty involved because a car can't, or in fact, a car will rust, Right? A house can get termites. A tornado can knock a house down. Uh, a boat can sink. Stocks can drop. A business can go under. The economy can stall. And even baseball cards that you bought for just nickels and dimes when you were a kid in those bubblegum packages uh, that now are worth thousands of dollars... Even your mom can start cleaning the house one day when you're all grown up and out of the house and those cards were all boxed. That's what happened to my brothers and I. We had hundreds of baseball cards. Uh, we bought them, you know, those little packages of bubble gum, five cards apiece, and we had some rookie cards. Uh, we had a Roberto Clemente rookie card. Uh, you know how much that card's worth today? We probably bought that in a pack of five for five cents. That card is worth today $2,200. Well, my mom is an avid house cleaner. So we were all grown up and out of the house, and one day she was just doing one of her cleaning sprees, and she came across this old, these boxes of old dusty baseball cards, and 
they're gone. <laughs> so now, uh, so investments, there's always a risk in any kind of investment, no matter what it is. And that's why worry and anxiety are always associated in this life with anything financial. The whole thing of making ends meet. There's always worry. There's a little tense. There's a little stress and pressure that comes along with that. Even when things are going good, there's a risk. And that worry, the thing about that kind of worry is financial worries can bleed over into, in fact, almost always do. They don't just stay contained to the budget, but they bleed out into every other area of our life. How many marriages have really caved and fallen apart because of financial stress? Or financial stress was part of that picture. Homes can be broken up. Uh, Businesses, business relationships can get broken over that. And you know, even uh, the times in life that should draw families closer together than any other time, when there's the death in the family, a death of a parent or a grandparent, and the whole family comes together. But what happens sometimes is the inheritance and how that's all going to be divided up, the financial part of it, ends up making it a time when it, families become divided instead of brought together. So that's, that's the stress that goes along with economic stuff. Now, last week, we learned that Jesus introduced to the world a radical, revolutionary economic plan. And today we want to pick that back up. Part, if you weren't here last week, part one of this series we call Don't Worry. You can get that online or you can get a CD. Today is part number two. We looked at the first half of Matthew chapter 6 last week. We're going to look at the second half this week because right at the heart of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, believe it or not, we, all, we usually think Jesus only talks about the spiritual stuff, right? Well, that's true. But here he's talking in the plainest terms about economic things. So let's listen in to what he has to say. And here it is. It's pretty powerful. Jesus offers an investment plan that is totally risk-free. It's absolutely certain. And it comes with a worry-free guarantee an agreement that people who invest in his plan will always be able to make ends meet in the daily struggle for food and clothing and shelter. And he puts all this into one very succinct statement toward the end of his discussion in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 33. This is what he says, and you're familiar with this passage probably. This is what he says. But seek first, or I guess you could say invest first in the kingdom of God and his righteousness, his justice, his goodness, his mercy. And then all these things. Now, all the things he's talking about, if you'll read the context, he's talking about food, clothing, and shelter. All these things will be given to you as well. Um, He goes on to speak about this investment plan in a little more detail in in, in this same chapter, a little bit earlier, in verses 19 to 21. This is the kind of investment he's talking about. Let me read it for you. It says this. It should be on the screen. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth 
where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. And then he adds this statement, for where your treasure is, there will your heart also be. Um, What is Jesus saying right there? Let's break it down. He's saying this, do not base your foundational investment in this life upon the material things of this life, because they will all pass away. But make your foundational investment in this world, make it in the one thing that is eternal and has a value to it that will never, ever diminish, never fail. In fact, a value that will continue to grow and grow and grow and grow throughout eternity. And so this is that investment that he says is investing in the kingdom of God. Now, what is the kingdom of God? What is that? Well, let's begin by asking this question. Who's the king? (laughs) Okay. Well, the king being referred to here is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the savior king, the Messiah king, the king of the universe, in fact, who was born into this world. Well, why was he sent into the world? He was sent into the world... With what top priority? When Jesus came, he totally invested his life in redeeming and restoring and rebuilding and rescuing people's lives at every level of brokenness that people can experience. Spiritual brokenness, emotional woundedness, relational wounds, physical, material. Jesus came to... uh, His priority was people. And he came... With this promise that faith in him brings a person into an entirely different kingdom, an entirely different culture, a different society. When we place faith in him, the scripture says we're taken out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light, into the kingdom of God's son. And over that kingdom, Jesus says over and over again, the ruler, the king, the, the ruler is his heavenly father, someone who deeply cares about us. So when Jesus says in this passage, seek first the kingdom of God, what we're talking about, what he's asking us is to make what was his top priority, if we're his followers, let's make that our top priority in life. He sought and lived for the kingdom of God. That's what he's calling us to do. And what is that kingdom of God? Again, it's investing in people. It's investing in giving people the hope of a second chance in life by, by knowing Christ. It's the hope of taking a person that has been beat down and hurt or wounded in any of the horrible kinds of ways this world can do that. Rebuild their life. That's the hope that Christ gives. And he's calling us to make that our very top priority in the way we live our lives. And in this passage, including our top financial priority, And that's where it gets really practical here. So this teaching reaches right down into the material things with which we live and plan and manage our everyday lives. How we invest our money. Uh, Now there's nothing wrong with cars, houses, boats, stocks, investing in education, baseball card hobbies, or any other kind of hobbies, saving retirement, going on vacations. Those are wonderful things. In fact, 
The scripture teaches us to enjoy this earth, this planet that God's given us. And it also teaches us a lot about being good planners and managing our finances and every other part of our life, being good managers. But let's look at that last statement that Jesus adds about our life's investments and the way we invest. In verse number 21, Jesus makes this very penetrating statement. He says, for where your treasure is, well, that's where you'll find your heart too. In other words, what you invest in shows what you treasure the most. What you invest in shows your worldview. It shows your arrangement of priorities, your perspective on life. On what, it shows what's really, really, really important to you when it comes right down to the bottom line. Now, there's a commentator by the name of William Barclay, who just a great commentator on the scriptures, a scholar. He died a few decades back, but he wrote a commentary on this very passage, the book of Matthew. And this is one of the things he, he says. Uh, he tells about the days in the terrible Decian persecution in Rome. The Roman authorities broke into a Christian church, and they were out to loot the treasures they believed the church to possess. And so the Roman prefect, he demanded from Laurentius, he was the deacon in charge of that church. He bur- they burst into the doors, and they said, show me your treasures at once. Demanded to see the treasures. So Laurentius instead of taking him into a room where there was all kinds of uh, material wealth stockpiled, he took him around the parish and he showed them the widows and the orphans who were being fed there, the sick who were being nursed, and the poor whose needs were being supplied. He took him around to show all the kids that were there being cared for. And then Laurentius said to the Roman prefect, he said, now, okay, these are the treasures of our church. Um, And I think that makes Jesus' point about what we treasure above everything else. It's an investment in people. Now, Jesus goes on to underscore what he's talking about in verses 22 to 24. And let me read that for you. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good. Now, the original New Testament of Matthew was written in Greek. The Greek word that's used there is a word we we would pronounce hapless. And the word uh, for good there is a word that's uh, translated, well, it's actually the good in the sense of generous, and sometimes it's actually translated generous. For instance, in Romans chapter 12, verse 8, the Apostle Paul uses this word when he's speaking about giving generously to the needs of others. So what Jesus is saying here is, if your eyes are good, then your whole body is going to be filled with light. If you see life through the eyes of generosity, then the light of God fills your whole being, your whole body. In other words, you have the same eyesight, you have the same vision with which God looks at the world because God is the author of all generosity. God is at heart a giving God and people are uppermost to God. But then he goes on and says, if your eyes are bad. Now, the Greek word there is poneros. I didn't say panera, okay? (laughs) Poneros, okay? And that word is translated uh, grudging, 
or ungenerous, hard-hearted, tight-fisted, refusing to help people in need. Way back in uh, the Greek version of the Old Testament, it's called the Septuagint, in Deuteronomy chapters 15, verse 15, chapter 15, verses 7 through 11, Moses refers to a person there who was being tight-fisted and hard-hearted and refusing to help people in need. And this is what, he's, and this is what Moses says. He says, give generously. In fact, he's quoting what God said to him. Give generously without a grudging heart. That's our word right there. And there's a promise. Then the Lord will bless you in your work and in all that you put your hand to. And Jesus is really building the same economic principle in Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount that Moses already lays down right here. In other words, if your way of viewing the world is ungenerous, maybe materialistic, then your whole body, Jesus says here, will be filled with darkness. He's saying that your view of life's priorities is going to be completely distorted. And then he makes this strange statement where he says, um, if then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? In other words, if I have the wrong priorities in life, but I'm living my life every day with those, I think I have light. I think I'm seeing things accurately. But Jesus is saying, if, if the way you prioritize your life is other than generosity as the foremost principle, then really what's filling you is a deception of light. It's really darkness. It's double darkness. Now, Jesus, then Jesus sets out what he's really talking about here. He's talking about two competing economic approaches in life, in this world. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And so Jesus is saying we must either base our lives upon God's generosity economics. I think that's what we'll call Jesus' economics. He taught generosity economics. Or we can base our lives on material economics. Now, the question is, then, how does this apply to you and me? Well, this is where we come to that radical new kind of approach to economics and investment that Jesus is teaching us in the Sermon on the Mount. If you choose it to invest first in the kingdom of God, in people and their redemption, then here is a guarantee, an agreement that Jesus, that God, in a sense, enters into contract with you. Because it's a promise. Let me read it in verse, his, the way Jesus says it in verse 25. He says, therefore, after he's just spoken about investing in the eternal things, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. What you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes. And then in verses 26 and 27, which we're not going to take time to read, Jesus goes on to talk about the birds and how the birds fly around doing everything that birds do, meeting their daily needs, building their nests, catching their worms, feeding the, 
the young birds, all the things that birds do, and the birds and their needs are met because the Father in heaven, Jesus says, loves even the birds, the birds of the air. But then he makes a statement, if he loves the birds of the air, how much more? How much more will he care for you? All right, and then he has another application, verse 28. He says, the lilies of the field, they're clothed in beauty by the Lord. They don't worry and stress over their clothing, the beauty of the lilies. And if the Father cares so much about the lilies and the flowers of the field, how much more does he care about you? And then Jesus wraps it all up in verses 31 to 34. This is where he really sets out what he wants to say here. He says in verse, he says 31, So do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? What shall we wear? For the pagans, that is, people that disregard God, run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. Now, when Jesus says here two or three times, don't worry, uh, he doesn't mean that there aren't going to be financial pressures that we face as his followers. He doesn't mean that we're not going to go through meager times. He doesn't mean that there aren't going to be financial blows that strike us. But he is saying this. If we invest first in his kingdom, in his mission on this earth, not only with our finances, but with our heart, our gifts, our talents, our passion, if we invest our life first, our first priority, everything, in his mission, his kingdom, then he will help us take care of our food, our clothing, our shelter, our basic needs of life, even when hard times come, even when there's the threat of a loss of a job, or even in an unemployment time, even when the, econo- the economy goes down. We do not have to worry in the sense that we have no more security in life. We have no more hope. Because our hope, our, our hope does not rest on, the, on a material base. Our hope rests in God, who owns this world and is capable of meeting, if he, met, he meets the needs of the birds, he will meet his promises, he will meet our needs, and he'll see us through even those tight times. Now, this is where Jesus gets even more specific about this investment, the way we invest in spreading the kingdom of God and his love and his grace to the world. Now, this is the part of the sermon where, to illustrate the radical nature of Jesus' teaching, I should probably uh, fall off my chair, okay? Because you might. (laughs) All right. Smile, okay? I hope you're with me on this, okay? And if if this happens to be the first time you've ever heard this statement, hold on to your chair. Don't fall off, okay? Um, if, if you're here searching out Christianity today, and this is uh, uh, you know, trying to figure out what, what this Christian thing is all about, okay, we're looking at just one part of it today. Uh, and this is a really practical part of it. And it's probably the hardest part of it for any pastor to, to talk about and teach. 
But I am trying to show you that it's Jesus that's bringing this, bringing this to us, okay, in his word. So here is when it gets down to the specifics. The teaching of scripture, the teaching of Jesus about how we invest in his kingdom is that we devote as sort of set apart and sacred to God for the support of his kingdom the first 10% of our income as an investment in the kingdom of God. Now, Jesus said that this mission that we have is very extensive. In Acts chapter 1, verse 8, here's what, how he described the mission that, of spreading the kingdom of God to the world. He says it this way, and you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's talking to the church, and you shall be my witnesses. And then he goes in four concentric circles, beginning with home base. Jerusalem, that's where he's talking about the, church, the community in which their church existed, right there in Jerusalem. You're here to spread the kingdom out to the, to the people who live around you. And then from there it goes to Judea. And then from there it goes to Samaria, which incidentally, Samaria was the place where the Jewish people never wanted to go because they had racial hatred, the Samaritans and the Jews. And yet Jesus says, this kingdom of God is going to knock down all racial walls, all walls of prejudice. And so as we invest in it and spread, we're going to be helping to break that down. And then as he says, it goes to all the world. We're, our mission is to bring the kingdom of God, the love of Christ, the message of Jesus, the redemption of people's lives, spiritually, mentally, socially, physically, materially, in every way where people are broken, to go into this entire planet. That's our mission. And so the scripture teaches that the people of God, as part of their passionate commitment, there's a financial dimension to it that supports God's work in the earth. Now, the teaching of returning a tenth to the Lord. What this old, the Hebrew word is the word tithe. That means a tenth. Uh, the teaching of returning that to God began way back in Genesis with Abraham. Abraham is the father of the Hebrew people. Uh, it came all the way down through Moses, and it came right on down to Jesus. And then Jesus passed it on to all of his followers. And here's the basic idea behind the tithe, all, taught all through the Scripture, and that is this, that God owns everything. The earth is the Lord's. He owns everything in it, on it. He really holds title to your life and mine. He holds the deed. Uh, he's our creator. Um, and, and every blessing that you and I possess from our home to our car to our health, to our baseball card collection, <laughs> to anything, anything we possess, whatever it might be. It's his. He's the one who gave us the wherewithal that, it's, that we have it. And we are the managers of that, according to the scripture. Now, uh, so what the Lord is saying is that everything we own, is 100% of that is his. He's asking that we take 10% of that and return it to him as sacred so that his work on the earth will not, what will be, what can get done, can get accomplished. 
Now, in Matthew chapter 23, verse 23, Jesus talked about this, and he really got on the case of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, not because they weren't tithing. They were, in fact, this is what he says, how terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees. You're hypocrites. For you are careful to tithe even the tiniest part of your income. They were tithing. But you ignore the the important things of the law, like justice and mercy and faith. And then he says, to them, you should tithe, yes. But you should not leave undone the more important things. In other words, they were tithing, but for the wrong reasons. They They were tithing for human applause. Jesus is saying, yes, tithe, but do it out of your heart. Do it for the right reasons. Do it for love of God and love of helping people. Now, I would say this too, and Jesus is really saying it. If a person cannot tithe out of sincerity, out of a genuine desire, and out of a true vision, then the Lord would be more interested in not not having that money, okay? Because the whole thing here is passion and heart. One of the things that Jesus taught about tithing is found in the Old Testament book of Malachi. Um, Someone might say, well, Malachi lived 400 years before Jesus came along. But here we we need to remember that uh, uh, who Jesus is. Jesus is God, right? He's God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Jesus is God. This book, this is his message in the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is what he said to Malachi. In in chapter 3, verse 8, in fact, the prophet asked this. He says, will a person rob God? But you ask, how can a person rob God? And the answer, in tithes and offerings. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And then he says this, test me in this, says the Almighty, the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. Now, that sounds scary, this whole 10% thing, doesn't it? And you know, to, to many people, it sounds downright offensive. <laughs> uh, but if we look at it, as Jesus is asking us to look at it, it's really one of the greatest gifts that God gives us. God promises his involvement in our finances, in our job, in our career, with the promise to meet our needs if we make our investment in his kingdom the first priority. In other words, he's promising to help us take the 90% with which he's blessed us and stretch it further than we could with our own ingenuity, than the whole 100%. That's his promise. If, we, if we're faithful to him. Jesus is extending to you the only way there is on the earth to have an assurance, an assurance financially that your needs will be met. And I don't think there's a better deal in the world. Jesus is not teaching about giving in order to drive you into deeper poverty or to burden you even more economically. In fact, it's the very opposite. He's offering you and me the economic help of the Father. It will be a step forward for you in your career. 
if you seek first his kingdom. Now, I want to be careful here. I am not up here talking about the health and wealth heresy that floats around. And you see this on television a lot, okay? You see television preachers a lot. And they are clearly manipulating people. Absolutely. And I, I would not want to be standing in their shoes on the day they stand before the Lord. They're going to answer for that. And you, you've seen enough of that that you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, some people think this whole thing is a scam. There, and there are religious scammers in the world, for sure. And like I said, in fact, later in the Sermon on the Mount, if you look at chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus talks about the scammers. And he says there that not everybody that, call, that called me Lord, Lord in this life, that took my name in this life, is going to enter into my kingdom. There's going to be some that, that, you, that, that use the name of Jesus for their own ulterior motives. And on that day, the scripture says, Jesus is going to turn to them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. Uh, so yeah, there's the scamming thing, no question about it. Let me throw this in. Talking about tithing, well, what if I'm out of work? What if I lost my job? I don't have any income coming in. What then? What if I'm disabled? You know what? God totally understands that. And that's why the rest of God's people do tithe so that we're there to reach out to those in our world, local or global, that have need. That's where, that's where the ability for the church to reach out and meet those, that's where that comes from. It's from the giving of those that do have earning power. Taking God up on this this contract, this economic contract that he gives us. So when you connect yourself with a church family where there is accountability and integrity and where there are genuine hearts for God and people, then giving together becomes one of our most rewarding joys and it becomes one of the most awesome tools that God uses coming forth from his people to make a difference for his kingdom in this world. So I brought this up with me today just to illustrate it. This thing right here that passes around every week, this is one of the most important tools in any local church. It really is. Uh, because of what Jesus says. Because we have a passion to reach our world. Now, if you're a follower of Christ... Uh, well, you know, hey, this is what I've got to ask. This is what I've got to say. This whole teaching that we've spent two weeks on comes down to one thing. Do we trust Jesus or not? Because it's his teaching. Do we trust him or do we not trust him on this particular teaching? Uh, will we base our lives on generosity economics because we believe Jesus knew what he was talking about. Now, if you're a follower of Christ, but this giving tithing thing has not been clear to you, I want to encourage you that you take a step of faith. In that passage you read from Malachi, he says, test me in this. Prove me. Put me to the test, God says, and see if I won't be faithful. And that's our homework today, uh, 
to just be found faithful in that. Now, I'm going to wrap this up in just a second, but um, I read an article from Christianity Today, and this is, they did a study on church giving, and this is what it says. If you calculate that 10% of Christians are in current circumstances because of their job situation or disablement or whatever it might be, they're simply not able, they're not able to tithe. They're not able to give because of the current circumstance they face. If that leaves 90% of God's people with earning power and capable of giving, then it says this, that uh, committed American Christians could realistically increase their giving by $85. billion per year. It also said that 27% of Christians across the country tithe. So there's the increase. Now, what could happen with an extra $85 billion coming out of the United States church? Well, Christianity goes on to say that it could, almost, it could put a huge dent in world hunger. A huge dent in world hunger. One person says it could end world thirst. There'd be enough to drill a water well in every village on the planet. Um, save people's lives. It would put Bibles in the hands of millions and millions and millions of people that we can't get Bibles to right now. It would build uh, training centers for, for Christian leaders in nations. We can't even think about how many it would add. Uh, and it would help us. We could, we could, uh, how could that help Calvary Church if we just saw that kind of an increase? I'm not saying 85 billion, okay. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying. What could we do if there was an increase? Well, I was thinking about that. You know, we have our Lamont's Kids Summer Camp coming up. In order to make ends meet, in fact, we're not even quite making the ends meet, it's $100 for a child to come to that. That really disturbs me. I'd like every child in the church and in the community come to that thing free. Wouldn't you? I would. That's what we could do. Uh, how about uh, youth camp? We just had a bunch of kids go to youth camp. I forget what the cost was there. I think it was like 180 or, I don't know, something like that. 200, uh, maybe it was more than that. Um, we, we do try to provide scholarships to get those kids there. I'd like to cut that thing in half or, or a third. So parents, you know, we can ease the bird on some parents that they might have two kids. They can't send them. We try to get everyone there we can. But that's what we could do. Uh, we could um, increase our assistance for individuals, couples, families. You know, we try, we, I meet with a lot of people that are dealing with issues in their lives, and I refer them to counseling. And a lot of times, one of the issues they face is they don't have a, they're, they're stressed out financially. And it costs to go see a counselor. So we do our very best at the church. Even when we're going into the red with our benevolence fund, I don't care. If someone comes, we're going to get them there. But you see what I'm saying? We could help so much more. Uh, we could cut in, cut in half the cost for every mission team that we send out to places like Oklahoma, Joplin, New York, Haiti, a trip that's coming up. In fact, I was at a men's breakfast yesterday. One of the guys that was on the trip to Oklahoma just last week 
We sent a trip of about 16 or 17 people out there. Um, he was telling me, he, w- he was so inspired with what they were doing out there to help people. He was, this guy was saying, I wish, he said there were two or three of us talking about how can we do this full time? And his answer was funding. <laughs> um, it'd be great if we had a team ready to hit the road every time. We, that's part of our ministry. We don't just minister here in Jerusalem. We go to Judea. Judea is Oklahoma. It's New York. Uh, it's Joplin. Uh, how about uh, we could double the monthly support to our 39 missionaries so they could double what they're doing. Um, we could elevate the ministry of mission stay. That's where we go out and... and Worth hope and friendship, and we fix homes right here in the community. On, uh, we're doing that June, July, and August, Friday, uh, Saturdays, uh, Saturdays of June, July, and August. We're fixing homes in our community for elderly people. We could do so much more to supply the materials to make that happen. Um, we could assist single parents dramatically. Um, so I could go on with a long list of things, but I'm just trying to make the point that our giving power. Jesus did not base his economy on earning power. He based it on giving power. And he, and he says, if you make your first investment, people, the kingdom of God, test me and see if I don't prove to be faithful to you in your career and helping you in that struggle to make the ends meet. Um, Here's the, closure. Here's the closing. We've been speaking about giving our tithe to the Lord. Now, there's one thing that's even far more mund- fundamental than that, and that's giving ourselves to the Lord. That's where it all begins. Giving my heart to God. Jesus created you. You are his already. He holds the title to your life. He's your maker. Maybe you have never, maybe you're here today and you've recogni- never recognized that God is your owner. If you will give yourself to him this morning, that word is surrender. Surrender yourself to him. Say to him, Lord, I need you at the center of my living. Not just financially, but in every part of my living. He will make his presence and salvation and reality known to you. That's his promise. That's why he came into the world, to be our Savior, to live in our life. So let's, let's pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, Lord, for your word. And Lord, we know that you, you get right down into the nitty-gritty of life to teach us how to live. And this is one part of that, Lord, uh, one part of it that's really important. And I pray, Lord, that wherever we're at in this spiritual journey, if there's some here today, Lord, listening to this, and this is new and I pray that just think about it, Lord, and, and reflect on it. And, there's, uh, and but Lord, we just pray that you'll help us to be faithful to what you've called us to do for the sake of people, for the sake of your kingdom. And uh, if there's a person here today that's never really surrendered their life to you, I pray right now that as they do that, Lord, you'll reveal your very presence, your very love to them. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.